Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm... Wait, am I the straight-laced psychotherapist? I thought I was going to be the unconventional hypnotherapist, and you were going to be the super serious trauma specialist. No, you were going to be the relationship expert. Like, love expert. And you're going to be the specialist who guides people with down-to-earth techniques for transmuting trauma? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay, good. I'll be the love expert. I mean, I am the love expert. I think we have this all sorted out. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light, and this is Holding Ground. Today and every Monday, we've got a little bit of everything for you. Shall we? Yeah, let's do this. Good morning. You're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. I am your host, Laura Richer. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. We are here every Monday morning to discuss all things in the world of positive mental health and therapy. And this morning, I am here with my co-host, who is also a therapist at Anchor Light, Michelle Mooney. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Laura. Good morning to our listeners. Michelle, tell everyone where they can find us. They can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All under Anchor Light Therapy Collective and YouTube at Anchor Light Therapy. And so today we have a great show for you. We're going to be talking about toxic relationships. We're doing a series on toxic relationships. Mm-hmm. And for our first episode today, we are going to be talking about childhood and how that impacts relationships in the workplace sometimes mm-hmm. and how that can land you into a toxic work relationship. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I really like this quote um, from Nina Simone. You have to learn to leave the table when love is no longer being served. The Isn't first, that a great one? Yeah, yeah, the first time I heard that, it like struck. And yeah. a lot of people say that too. I used to have it at my on my whiteboard at my last office. And yeah, people read that and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I do need to leave the table. Yeah. <laughs> time to stand up. <laughs> So, you know, we've been talking about uh, how we might end up in different toxic environments. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, we were discussing is that Kaiser Permanente did a study in the mid-90s where they started to research how adverse childhood experiences would affect adults later in life. And they came up, uh, it was called the ACE study, and it included, they looked at 10 common childhood traumas. Um, and then they followed what that would do in a person's life if they were to have experienced those traumas in childhood. Yeah. yeah. So the first thing on that is, um, you know, there's not just 10, but these are the most common, common 10 yeah. over, you know, the study that they did. Um, so, yeah. Um, so there's a questionnaire and it starts with before your 18th birthday and then it lists the 10 traumas. Mm-hmm. So did a parent or another adult caregiver in your life often swear at you, insult you, put you down, humiliate you, or act in a way that made you feel afraid and that you might physically be hurt. So um, that one is, you know, pretty common that I see in my work with clients around trauma. And a lot of these really are. Um, So the next question is, did a parent or another adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw anything at you or ever hit you so hard that you left marks that you had an injury. Um, So they're touching on emotional abuse, mental abuse, then physical abuse. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because, again, like we've talked on the show before, there's, of course, physical trauma, things that happen, being abused in some sort of way, Um, whether that's, you know, hitting, pushing. It could be sexual abuse, um, but also that emotional trauma, right? And that's the next, what the next uh, question touches on is if you were, 
touched in an inappropriate way or a sexual way mm-hmm. as a child in your, in yeah. your household. And that can be parents, that can be um, aunts, uncles, um, siblings even I've seen in my work. Um, so, and with that one, um, you know, all of these are childhood experiences. So we learn from those things um, and that's the, that's the reality. So kids at first grow up thinking this is love, this is what happens, right? This or that is it's normal. at the very least normal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, and then they get into adulthood or, you know, and with any of these, they see, often I see um, families or kids go to visit their friends and see their families and like, oh, th- these things don't happen here. Their mom's right. not yelling at them about, you know, manners at the table, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Um, so seeing healthy families and friendship, um, I have a couple clients that um, experience that. And um, yeah, that's how they realize to become aware that there was something that was <laughs> off with that. And at the same time, if those are the experiences that you have as a child, those and those experiences are normalized to you, even if you do have an awareness that they are unhealthy or not what you want in in your later life, you're going to be more likely to recreate those same experiences yeah Yeah. absolutely and you know kids are frightened to say you know stop or don't do this to me and that sort of thing right so um even if they do like you said understand that this is not normalized Mm -hmm. it's their reality and they can't you know advocate for themselves and yeah ask for that to be stopped so the next one is no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special so your family didn't really look out for each other you weren't close Um, And you didn't support each other. So that's a big one. So you can have caregivers that, you know, maybe feed you and clothe you and make sure you go to school. Um, But if they're not showing you affection or love in some way, you know, that can adversely affect a child. And this is one that I think can impact uh, people who are later find themselves in a toxic work environment is that your value is very achievement oriented. And so Mm -hmm. if you are not living up to a certain standard that's set by your parent or caregiver, that you don't have any value. So you learn that you have to do certain things in order to get approval or love. Right. Like follow the strict rules that your parents set for you, get straight A's in school. Mm -hmm. Right. So those are expectations. So those aren't things where you would come home with a straight A report card and your parents would be like, oh, my gosh, that's so wonderful. Right. Um, It's like, okay, great. Like you're following our expectations. Right. Right. And if you don't, then you aren't lovable. Right. Exactly. Then you get in trouble. Right. Mm -hmm. So the other thing around that is kids learn, Okay, if I do these things, it's safe. So I feel safer. Mom's not going to get mad. Dad's not going to get mad. So kind of maintaining that status quo, like, okay, can I can create some sort of stabilization in my environment and kids, you know, take that on and they learn from their parents. Okay, if I do these things, then, you know, my parents aren't going to get mad. There's stability in my environment. So for a child to have to take on that role and create stability in their Mm -hmm. environment, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. 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 So the next one we have is you didn't have enough to eat, had dirty clothes, no one really was there to protect you, um, or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or even take you to the doctor if you need it. So that's that's neglect, right? Yeah, your basic needs are not being met. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the next question is, were your parents ever separated or divorced? So it's interesting when a lot of people um, do this assessment, they have at least maybe one or two of these because mm-hmm. a lot of folks now have 
parents that are divorced. Yes. And that in and of itself does not have to be a traumatic experience. Right. Yeah. Right. But it can be difficult, right? Yes. And so um, it's something that can affect folks. So, yeah, again, absolutely. But yeah. it doesn't have to be abusive in, as as the other things that we described, mm-hmm. but can have a, a traumatic effect on some people and some people not. Yeah. Absolutely. I've also had clients who have said, I wish my parents would have gotten divorced. Right. And yeah. that's another thing, right? Um, a lot of times parents maintain their relationship. Okay, I want to, you know, give my children a stability, you know, right. stable environment until they graduate high school or college. And then their folks get divorced. Yes. And that can be really hard if, like you're saying, like there's a lot of yelling or violence in the household. Right. You know, that that's not good to stay together. Yeah. 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 So the next one is, was your mother or stepmother, and this can be applied to males as well, right? Because women um, also can be um, abusive, but often push, grab, slap, or had something thrown at them, or even kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, um, and repeatedly hit over at least a few times or threatened with a gun or knife even. So that's kind of like what we were talking about in the first, the, uh, the one preceding this is, um, you know, that physical violence in the yeah. home. And so, so you may not be the target of physical mm-hmm. violence, but you're observing it between mm-hmm. your caregivers. Yeah. And that one can teach children. This is what love is, right? You abuse your partner. You That's how you respond to conflict. Um, so a lot of people can grow up and, you know, that's how they treat their partners. Because yeah. that's what they learned. That was what was modeled to them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the next one is, did you ever live with anyone that was a problem drinker, alcoholic, or use, you know, drugs? So um, that one, I think, kind of speaks for itself, right? But that can lead to neglect. That can lead to yelling. That can lead to violence. So these things can kind of formulate all these other ones that we talked mm-hmm. about. And just even being emotionally absent or unavailable. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you're too drunk or high and you're in bed all day or you're out on the street, um, you know, you're not there for your children. Right. Um, the next one is, was a household member depressed, mentally ill, or did they even attempt suicide? So that's another one, you know, kind of like what I've seen in the the preceding one. Um, mom's in bed all day or mom's crying. And, you know, so that can lead to neglect again, emotional neglect. That can lead to children feeling like they need to care for their parents, right? What do you need, mom? Can I feed you? Are you okay? And like, you know, showing them affection in a way where they're the caretaker, essentially. And just also, you know, uh, denies them a sense of safety is Mm. my caregiver is not competent. And Mm -hmm. so what's going to happen to me if I'm a child? Yeah. The person in charge is not doing well. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, And the last one is, did a member of a household ever go to prison or jail? So um, then the parent is absent, right? And who knows how long they're going to be there. And then, you know, that affects a child, right? Why is my parent locked up? What did they do? Um, Creates a sense of abandonment. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're bad, so I must be inherently bad as well. Right, Mm -hmm. right. So these are all of the traumas that were outlined in the in the ACEs study. And what they found was that if you got a score of four or more, mm-hmm. you were likely to experience some effects of trauma. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, kids who grow up in this environment, again, can learn that violence is how you handle conflict. So they can be a lot more violent. Um, more marriages, which is interesting. So... Having, you know, relationships where you do get married, you're close, um, but ultimately it does end. And then you try to connect with somebody else and maybe 
even cling to them, right? Yeah. Okay, this is somebody who's giving me affection. I didn't get that in childhood, and then it ultimately ends. So um, that's that's uh, seen as well. Um, more drug um, and alcohol dependence. Um, so children learn that this is how you know the effects of this are numbed. I don't have to think about it. And you know, obviously, we know that that doesn't fix anything. Mm-hmm. Um, clients have to come in and get to the root of their trauma so they can understand and then hopefully find a way and a path forward through yeah. recovery. Um, even more autoimmune diseases. So that's an interesting one. So the the big thing about this study is that they learn, you know, people with uh, high ACE scores, uh, they can have a lifespan that's 20 years less than the average human being because they adopt all of these health issues. Right, which makes sense because autoimmune diseases often are very aggravated by stress. And if you have a lot of, uh, tr- if you've lived in a traumatic environment your entire life, you're going to obviously have more mm-hmm. stress. You're going to learn negative coping tools, like maybe using relationships, chaotic relationships as a coping tool, yeah. um, substances as, as coping tools, mm-hmm. more broken bones. People who grow up in traumatic environments are l- more likely to be victims of violence. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Or their parents aren't keeping an eye on them, right? Yeah. So they're going out, they're, you know, doing a lot of reckless behavior that they don't realize is necessarily reckless, but they get injured more because who's there that, you know, to protect yeah. them. Yeah. So we, I did a short stint in community mental health. You did a much longer one. But mm-hmm. in that time, the, a lot of the population that we worked with is our, they were children who grew up in traumatic environments who are now adults mm-hmm. and are navigating life with this with this history of trauma. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, in some way, um, they adopt mental illness, um, you know, severe depression, even, you know, personality disorders come mm-hmm. out of traumatic environments. So personality disorders such as um, narcissistic personality disorder, which was one of those that gets thrown around a lot. And you yeah. see that too, Laura, right? Yeah. My partner is narcissi- narcissistic. Yes. Because not everybody's ex is a narcissist, doesn't yeah. have n- narcissist personality <laughs> disorder, even though it might seem like it. But uh-huh. there is an actual diagnosis of having a narcissistic personality, which is if you come from a traumatic environment, it's a defense mechanism that you create to keep yourself safe in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I'm looking out for myself. I don't care about anybody else. I yeah. need to do it's just for me. Mm-hmm. Um you learn not to have empathy for other people, probably because people didn't have empathy for you. And again, that's a survival yeah. mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, a lot of personality disorders will all probably mm-hmm. come from mm-hmm. from trauma and traumatic yeah. experiences. So these really difficult people sometimes, you know, there's there's a sad story behind that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and there was a couple interesting studies around neglect in babies, actually. Um, so in the 13th century, um, King Frederick II did a study where he took like 30 babies away from their mothers, essentially, mm-hmm. and put them into this situation where nurses were only allowed to feed them, bathe them, and that was it. They weren't allowed to speak to them. They weren't allowed to touch them. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these babies actually died yeah. um, because they didn't have that. You physical- said this is the 13th century? Century? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Going way back for our research. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the 40s here in the uh, 1940s here in the U.S., they did a similar study and they had to cut it short because the same thing was happening. Babies were dying yeah. because they weren't getting affection. So physical touch, love is so important. And, you know, when children don't have this, you know, even if they survive from infancy, right, um, it really affects them adversely. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about some pretty 
significant traumatic childhood events. And some people just, they may have one or two of these things happen. Mm-hmm. And so maybe their coping skills are are adequate. Um, other people can have more sim- significant damage. Um, one example, I have been watching a YouTube channel called The Soft White Underbelly, oh, which yeah. the creator of that channel interviews people who are living on Skid Row and ha- who are who are engaging in really high-risk uh, behaviors, whether that's prostitution or addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has them tell their their life stories. And I think it's a really great channel for creating awareness of what is going on with people who are in these type of circumstances. Right. And all of them have very significant trauma histories. I was watching one this morning where she was being um, sexually abused by her stepfather. And so when she was 13, her mother kicked her out of the house. Her, fa- her biological father was in prison. And so, the, I mean, this is these are significant mm-hmm. levels of trauma, and now she's living on the streets and, and is addicted to, to yeah. heroin. Yeah. yeah. And we see that a lot with folks that um, do have a drug abuse history, mm-hmm. alcohol abuse history, even, like you said, um, sex work history, um, because they came out of traumatic experiences. So, again, it's a coping skill. Yeah. Um, okay, I can numb myself in this way, but as we know, addiction and um, physical dependence comes along with that, right? And no one wants to have that. No one, again, wakes up one day and is like, oh, I'm going to be a drug addict yeah. when I grow up, right? But again, it's a coping skill, and um, over time you get emotionally addicted and you also get physically dependent. Yeah. So if you take those substances out, right, your body can go into withdrawals, withdrawals, um, and then that emotional attach- uh, attachment, right? So this is what can numb me. I don't want to have to think about. I don't want to feel mm-hmm. these feelings. Um, and Dr. Gaber Mate, who wrote the book In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, which is a fantastic book, talks a lot about the work that he does as an addiction uh, doctor in Vancouver, B.C., mm. and he said he's treating trauma. He's Addiction is a side effect of trauma, which yeah. makes perfect sense with all the research that's being done. Yeah, I like that, right? It's a side effect of something. It's not the predominant issue. Mm-hmm. It's a side effect of the actual predominant issue, which is, you know, abuse, traumatic childhood yes. in a lot of ways. Yep. Yeah. So I think we're going to take a quick little break here, but when we come back, we are going to talk about how experiencing childhood trauma might be affecting your work life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So stay tuned. This is Holding Ground on KKNW. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm, let's see... Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean, when you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful, and you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there, just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish. They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. 
Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning into our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazarus, and this is Climate Connections. Children's beliefs are often shaped by their parents, but sometimes young people influence the adults in their lives. Lance Lawson is a recent high school graduate from Florida. For a long time, he believed climate change was a hoax, because that's what his stepdad said. But then a friend challenged him to read the research. I naturally started Googling something along the lines of proof climate change isn't real, et cetera, et cetera. And I found that the deeper I dug, the harder it became to find something that was credible. He realized that nearly all climate scientists are convinced that global warming is real and human-caused. As his views evolved, he discussed it with his stepdad. I've always enjoyed a very open political discourse with my dad. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he ended up changing his mind. What happened is not unusual. A recent study found that parents whose kids talk to them about climate change often become more concerned about it, especially fathers and conservatives. Lawson says today he and his dad continue to talk about climate change with each other and others. I truly believe one person convinces another person, that person convinces two people, and it has a ripple effect, and I think that's very important. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. This is Laura Richer, and you're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. And today, me and my co-host, Michelle, are talking about toxic relationships. And so we just discussed what is considered uh, traumatic childhood experience, Mm -hmm. uh, toxic family dynamics. And now we are moving on to toxic relationships in the workplace. Yes, yes. This one is very huge. Yeah. And a reminder to folks that we're doing a toxic relationship series. So, yeah. So we'll be covering all types of toxic relationships. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) So, you know, working here in Seattle, there's a lot of uh, big corporations, high stress environments, Mm -hmm. high demands. And so in our practice, we work with a lot of people who are experiencing work stress, work burnout, even feeling like they have a toxic relationship with their with their job or their employer. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so. Some of the things that you might want to watch out for if you think that you might be in a toxic work environment um, are, you know, because sometimes we don't like our jobs, right? That doesn't mean that the environment is toxic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just because we have a couple bad days or even a couple bad weeks at work. It doesn't mean you're in a toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. But when it's starting to take a toll on your physical health, emotional health, your sense of self-esteem, mm-hmm. well-being, you might, you might notice that you're in a toxic work environment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they talk a lot about um, so toxic work environments. People like their jobs. They actually like can like the work that they're doing, mm-hmm. but 
the politics, the office politics really drags them down. And when we, you know, have toxic relationships with our caregivers, which we discussed in the first uh, segment, we can actually seek out sometimes toxic environments again or toxic romantic relationships Mm -hmm. um, because we're familiar with them. So actually folks in the workplace who are experiencing toxic environments or toxic relationships with their bosses or coworkers, they have a higher tolerance for it, unfortunately. Yes, so and so more- they find themselves staying there longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that, and, and you can also find yourself in a toxic work environment even if you didn't have significant childhood trauma. But mm-hmm. some things that you're going to notice is that you might be in a, in an environment where the work you do is just never enough. You're never working enough hours. The results mm-hmm. are never enough. It might almost be, feel like you're being gaslit, that you're just working so hard and you think that somebody's going to tell you you're doing a good job and then they say, nope, you're not getting a raise. It wasn't enough. Right. Because you're just meeting that expectation again, kind of like what we were talking about right, right. before. Um, so you're just doing what your boss or the work environment um, expects of you. So you work so hard to get these projects done mm-hmm. um, and, you know, lead these meetings and all of that. And you have no positive feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, there are, I've worked with several clients with uh, different employers here in Seattle where that is the norm of the culture. You know Mm -hmm. when you're going in there that their expectation is that you're going to work 16 hours a day. You're going to um, basically have no work-life balance. Yes. You know that there are places that have very high turnover, that the average stay might only be a couple years. Mm -hmm. Um, You see a lot of... uh, competition and they put things in place like leveling that make you feel you're constantly comparing yourself to other people yeah yeah yeah, absolutely so this is what the american psychology association has to say about excessive work stress and this is why we want to be mindful of if we're in a toxic work environment Mm -hmm. work-related stress just doesn't just disappear when you head home from the day When stress persists, it can take a toll on your health and well-being. A stressful work environment can contribute to problems such as headache, stomachache, sleep disturbances, short temper, and difficulty concentrating. Chronic stress can result in anxiety, insomnia, high blood pressure, and a weakened immune system. It can also contribute to health conditions such as depression, obesity, and heart disease. Compounding the problem, people who experience excessive stress often deal with it in unhealthy ways such as overeating, eating unhealthy foods, smoking cigarettes, or abusing drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So long-term exposure to a toxic environment, whether it's in your childhood or in your career, can have huge detrimental effects. Yeah, yeah. And another thing, of course, is trauma can come out of mm-hmm. this. And a lot of clients that I see coming in and working on some trauma is around their um, office place and the work that they're doing. And, you know, maybe they have an inkling of maybe I should leave this job, but they're still in it. And it just is creating this, um, a lot of negative beliefs, right? I'm worthless. I'm not doing enough. Um, and things like that. So, um, again, you know, sometimes your actual work isn't the hardest thing that you're doing. It's the environment that you're in. Um, I have even had clients over the years who have, because there's a certain level of brainwashing that goes on in that environment. And you do really, if somebody is constantly reinforcing to you that you're not doing enough and you're not enough and, you know, anyone else could meet these expectations, but you're not, mm-hmm. or that you're lucky to be in this environment. Um, and that could be reinforced by the fact that you have great benefits and a great salary. And so there's a there's a financial yeah. risk. But I have worked with clients in the past who actually 
I wouldn't say they were suicidal, but started having kind of passive suicide type ideation of like, I just, I mean, I just am not worth anything. Mm -hmm. What is even the point of going on? Like I've been told for a certain amount of years that I'm not enough. And now I really believe it. And I'm, I'm not seeing value in living basically. Yeah. And there can be a total loss of perspective. And then they leave that environment and they're like, wait a second, that, you know, it wasn't me. That was just, but it's, when you're in it, it can be very challenging to have perspective and put mm-hmm. things, you know, to be able to see things that, in fact, maybe the environment is toxic, not you. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, getting out of those environments is huge, right? Then we have that perspective and maybe we go into an environment where you are valued, you do get positive feedbacks, like, oh, yeah, I am doing a good job in that last job. Yeah, yeah, it was it was horrible. Um, so I recently worked with a client who so things are starting to open back up. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of workplaces, some employees are coming back. A lot of employees don't still feel safe coming in. Maybe they have somebody at home who has an autoimmune disorder, maybe an elderly parent that they're taking um, care of. But there's that expectation now, like, oh, you have to come into the office a little bit. Um, And this particular client, there was no COVID policy in the workplace. So there was no, you know, you, you know, the expectation right now is we're all wearing masks, right? But there was no, like, firm boundaries. There was no... You can still work from home and maybe just have to come in for meetings um, and things like that. So um, it leaves a lot of questions and wondering. And so it creates that expectation again. Okay, we're open. I have to go in even though it doesn't feel safe for me yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's a sign of a toxic work environment is if you're in a place where they're not willing to take your safety and health into consideration and that the work is put above Mm -hmm. everything else. Right. Um, So I've talked about this in according to relationships before, but it also works um, with jobs and toxic work environments. So having the client sit down and write the two lists, right, what I deserve in the workplace, right? So I deserve to be valued. I deserve to have positive feedback. Um, I deserve to only work eight hours a day and then can go home to my children and be a good parent or a good spouse. Um, And then that list of what I will not tolerate. And so and then folks look at this and they're like, wow. I didn't realize um, all these things that I feel like I deserve and I'm not getting those and the things that are on my will not tolerate list are what I'm currently experiencing. And it's difficult for people because a lot of people, especially here in in our city, are in the position of having the golden handcuffs, that I make Mm. such a good salary, that I have such good benefits, that I should be able to tolerate this environment. But sometimes that even the the financial reward is not worth the mm-hmm. detriment to your your health and well-being. Yeah. My first corporate job in Seattle in the early 2000s um which I was never as I've mentioned many times a good fit for the corporate world, but I was kind of shocked about how overweight everyone was when I got there and oh. that and then I realized after working there for a while that yes, you're in your desk 10 hours a day and you're eating M&Ms out of the vending machine to kind of cope with the stress that you're experiencing. And yeah, and I was gaining a few M&M pounds myself as I was there. <laughs> so, it, you know, that and that does have a negative impact on your on your mm-hmm. health, those high levels mm-hmm. of stress. And they say, too, that new employees notice more that this is a toxic environment. They're coming in. They're like, wait a second. This might not be the best thing. But existing employees don't even notice it anymore. They become immune, right? And they start gaining the pounds, eating more M&Ms, Cheetos, that sort of thing, right? And they're just 
they're there and this is their this is their world. It's the frog in the pot of boiling water that doesn't jump out because it's the heat's turning it on gradually. So you don't realize how bad it's getting because you're yes. in that environment. Yes. Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to go over a list um, now of some things that create a toxic work environment. Um, so, um, Laura, would you like to start with the first one? Yes. So you're not it's not a friendly atmosphere. People are competitive. They are maybe they withhold information from each other. It's not a team mm-hmm. environment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a kind of a sense of being threatened all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's not it's 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 not a pleasant place to be. And again, work isn't always pleasant. You know, I I really want to make the distinction that, you know, if you're having a bad day at your job, it doesn't necessarily mean you're in a toxic work environment. Sometimes mm-hmm. work is hard. Sometimes we our coworkers are crabby or we have a bad day. That's just a normal part of living life. Mm-hmm. But this is something a little, you know, that takes it to the next level. And I'd say really competitive environments, you're probably going to find mm-hmm. some of this. And we know when we have a work environment where there is that friendly atmosphere that can make all the difference. Yeah. Right? I have friends here. There's people I really love working with, and that can really make a huge impact on how much we enjoy our jobs. And I think another thing in non-friendly environments that you might notice is there's a lot of gossip. There's a lot mm-hmm. of talking mm-hmm. about other employees. Um, there's a lot of uh, maybe that people feel comfortable talking negatively about the work environment, complaining mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, just an overall feeling of negativity. Yeah, and that gossip actually can be the only source of information for employees. So maybe your employer is not telling you, but maybe I heard a snippet of something in a meeting, and then I go tell everyone, and then that filtrates to the rest of the company. So if we're getting our information that way, right, that's not a stable environment. That's not how we should be getting our uh, information. And that's one thing we're seeing in the media right now that, that uh, the Ellen show is certainly mm-hmm. under scrutiny, and I don't know the details of what ha- actually happened in in that place. But one of the big complaints that was out there initially when this whole investigation started was when COVID happened that the employees were not being communicated with. They didn't know mm-hmm. what was going to happen to their jobs and their compensation, and that that created a lot of you know because this is people's livelihood, it's their their well being of their mm-hmm. families. So that created a lot of strife and stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next one, Laura. So you might be in a toxic work environment if you have extreme work hours and there are no, there's no work-life balance and there's mm-hmm. no expectation that you would have work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I have seen several clients over the years who uh, all seem to work for the same company, but they have extreme stress and they are doing things. They're taking calls in the middle of the night. They're working yes. across different time zones. The mm-hmm. expectation is that they're available at all. The, even to the point that their sleep is being interrupted. Yeah. So that is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And if you are choosing to be in a situation like that for a very finite period of time because it's a means to an end, maybe you need some sort of financial gain to get you to the next place, mm-hmm. and, and you're aware that you are doing it for that reason, great. But if you think that this is a reasonable expectation that's supposed to be sustainable, it absolutely is not. Right, right. There has to be some sort of cutoff. Okay, I'm going home. Now I can, again, feed my children, play mm-hmm. with them, help them with their homework, right? And my boss isn't going to call and say, I need you to book a flight. And, you know, I have this immediate meeting across the country. You need to take care of this or whatever it is. And I've experienced that um, in the past where... Yeah, there is that expectation that, you know, if, again, if my boss is suddenly flying to wherever she was going, um, you know, I had to suddenly jump in and put down like my homework or whatever I was doing to help her out. 
Well, and if we're trying to meet the needs of the business and that happens occasionally, then right. that's fine. Right. But if this is the the constant expectation that you are always to be available, that you mm-hmm. never have any personal time, mm-hmm. that you're tied to your phone and, you know, responding to text messages in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. then that, again, it's not sustainable. If it's for a specific amount of time for a specific project, mm-hmm. maybe. But right. Yeah. Right. And I've, I've seen clients, too, where they they experience that, that they feel like they can never not look at their phone. Right. Mm-hmm. Because my boss is going to send me an email that I have to respond to in the middle of the night. Um, I've actually seen, too, where bosses kind of like, um, yes, they have that work expectation that we're sending you emails about some th- project that you have to be doing. Um, but I also had a client where like her boss was sending her pictures of her dog or her children and she still felt like she had to respond to that, right? My boss is sending me this. So your puppy's so cute or your yeah. kids are so cute, right? So um, that can be very difficult. So having co- also maybe, um, that's I wouldn't call that an inappropriate relationship, but maybe that, you know, there's a power dynamic there that you have to respond to this person in a personal way. And maybe that's not appropriate yeah. in, in the work environment or something that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, another another sign that, that you could possibly be in a toxic work environment is title obsession. And so people are working towards different levels of status, mm-hmm. um, which I think exists in all corporate type structures or business mm-hmm. structures. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it becomes very competitive. Mm-hmm. And again, I think you go back to that. Not It's not a friendly mm-hmm. atmosphere of supporting people as they achieve different levels. It's like, well, I'm a level 10 and you're only a seven. So yes. yeah. Yeah. I've seen that too, where, oh, you're a project assistant level one and mm-hmm. you know, someone else is a level four and there's that kind of, um, your self-worth and your value is yeah. tied to this number, this yeah. title. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So next, what do we have here? So the, there is specific rules and that good judgment and experience is not as important as following the Mm -hmm. rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's no room for interpretation of of things. Yeah. Yeah. So if I come into our workplace and I know I have all of these skills and my judgment is really good, but my boss is, you know, telling me other things like, no, there's this very specific structure. You just have to do what I'm telling you to do. You, you aren't able to utilize those skills or that creativity. And, it, and I think it becomes very frustrating. I had a job um, before I started in the therapy world where I the processes of the job just did not make sense to me. But they mm. ins- And there, there was absolutely a more efficient way to go about it. But they insisted that you had to follow this pr- specific process, which mm-hmm. was more tedious. And, and so things like that where you, your input isn't valued, you can't make mm. any positive mm-hmm. changes – you know, sometimes you do need to follow specific processes, and that's right. That's right. okay, but absolutely. Sometimes it's hard for employees when it doesn't make sense, or they know there's a mm-hmm. more efficient way to go about things. It, yeah. it would be nice to have your your feedback taken in to consideration. Yeah, I think yeah. we've probably all experienced that a little bit. Like, wait, this doesn't quite make sense. Why yeah. is this the rule? And it sounds like you know you had a lot of good judgment, and you knew right. There's a better way of doing this, but. You're bound to these um, rules and expectations where, yeah, we can't speak up in meetings like, hey, actually, I think I have a better way of maybe doing this because I actually know what I'm talking about. And maybe you actually don't. Yeah. And again, everyone's going to need rules and procedures and structures and all of that is normal. But it Mm -hmm. gets it's when it's you feel like you're being sabotaged, maybe that you can that might not be a good fit for you. You know, and I think another thing to notice, too, as we go through these is some personality types don't fit in well into certain situations. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't always mean that the job itself is a, a bad or toxic job. 
um, or that the environment is bad, but it might not be the it might be a toxic environment to you. Yeah. And that's okay. That's also okay. You don't have to force yourself to fit into places that you don't fit into. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually better to um, maybe move on from those jobs mm-hmm. if you can, right? If you feel like you're not fitting in. Definitely better. Yeah. I, and I've mentioned, like I said before, I never thrived in a corporate environment. It wasn't for me. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who do and have had amazing careers there and achieved great things. But my personality was not suited for that. And mm-hmm. I found so much more happiness in self-employment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think we both had that. So my previous career was marketing and graphic design. So I was sitting at a seat all day long. And I did get to be somewhat creative with design, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Even though I was working for a nonprofit, I wanted to have more of an impact. And, you know, I was very bound to, you know, I had these creativity skills and I knew what I was doing from my perspective, right? I went to school for that. And then you have people who maybe don't have that creative set. But again, there's those rules or these expectations of people that, um, you know, don't really get it. And then you're kind of um, just suppressed and, you know, feel defeated in a way like, I know what I'm doing, but so-and-so is telling me to do this thing. So yeah, uh, eventually growing out of that, right? (laughs) And there's always, we work for a long time now, so there's always time for a a second career. I mean, I got my master's degree in my 40s and, you know, what I did at the first part of my career is not what I'm doing in my career now. So Mm -hmm. there's always the opportunity to change and move on. Just because you've studied one thing when you were 18 and went to college doesn't mean that you have to stay in that environment forever, especially if you find out that it isn't the right environment for you. Yeah, I love that. Yep. We always have a chance to move on, change careers, go back to school if you can. Right. Mm -hmm. I did that in my early 30s. And, you know, a lot of people in my classroom environment were like just out of undergrad and now they're going to jump into a master's program. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we can do it. But a lot of people aren't. So if you're yep. thinking about going a new direction, that yep. is always a possibility. Yeah, and you are. might be a lot happier if you're feeling like the environment that you're in is toxic. So some sometimes things just aren't a good fit. And sometimes things are just bad environments. Mm-hmm. So that is something, too, that you could be in the field that you want to be in. And mm-hmm. you could be like it was always your dream to be at this company. And you work for a narcissistic boss. And mm-hmm. it's very negative and com- overly competitive. And mm-hmm. There's no room for, you know, mm-hmm. you to actually do the work that you thought you were going to do. And in that case, you might want to go to a different place. Yep. All right. So I think that we should take another little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the implications of long-term work stress mm-hmm. and how you mm-hmm. can deal with that. Yes. So stay tuned. You're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. If you talk, if they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how, and we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So talk, hear you. you can do it if you try. 
Do you make a positive difference in the world? Do you have a talent, philosophy, base of knowledge, product or service that you know could help a lot of people if only you could reach them? Join Alternative Talk 1150's family of broadcasters and start walking down a fruitful path as host of your very own program. Dial 425-653-1150 and find out just how affordable it can be to have a show on 1150 AM. That's 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazarus, and this is Climate Connections. The Mid-Atlantic and Northeast regions of the U.S. are home to major cities and sprawling road networks. All that traffic creates a lot of carbon pollution. Transportation issues are multi-state and regional by their very nature, so it really does make a lot of sense to tackle them in a regional way. James Bradbury is with the Georgetown Climate Center, It facilitates the Transportation and Climate Initiative, a collaboration between Washington, D.C. and 12 states. To reduce transportation emissions, members of the group are developing a regional cap-and-invest program. It could take effect as early as 2022. When it does, it would require fuel suppliers to hold allowances, essentially permits, for the carbon pollution caused by the fuel they distribute. And the total number of allowances would be capped and then decline over time to ensure that you actually get the emissions reductions. The allowances will be bought and sold at auction, and the proceeds will help fund clean transportation. For example, they could be used for mass transit, bike paths, or incentives for electric vehicles. So Bradbury says the program should improve mobility while reducing carbon pollution. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Thanks for tuning into our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Holding Ground. My name is Michelle. I'm a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective, and I'm here with Laura Richard, the founder of Anchor Light Therapy and also a psychotherapist. Yes, and today we are talking about uh toxic relationships Mm -hmm. and we're talking about childhood trauma and we're talking about workplace stress but now we're going to talk about what you can do if you've had some of these experiences Mm -hmm. because you don't have to deal with the the stress and trauma forever right exactly you can get out of these environments like we're saying um you know and it can be hard to switch jobs right maybe especially now right Mm -hmm. but there might not be too many out there that we can choose from but again we can go back to school we can do these other things and um yeah so and again, I think there's always oh there's always opportunities. So there mm-hmm. are tough economies, and we're in a pandemic right now, and so it certainly is not easy. But if you find yourself in an abusive situation of any kind, whether mm-hmm. it's in a work environment or a relationship, I think people can say, well, you know, there's no other options for me. Yeah. I believe there always is other options, mm-hmm. and that's something that we can help you explore in therapy. Is you know, yeah. if you're blocked from seeing those options, we might be able to help you see it in a different way. Mm-hmm. 
And we talked a little bit in the first segment about um, physical implications of trauma and being in trauma, uh, traumatic uh, work environments or toxic uh, work environments or childhoods. And again, there's physical implications mm-hmm. to being in a toxic work environment. If we're too long, that's acute stress, right? That can um, lead to PTSD. And again, these things are related, obviously, to their emotional health, but they can affect our um, physical health as well. So things like, um, again, autoimmune disorders such as arthritis, um, psoriasis, mm-hmm. right, that can flare up when we're really stressed out. Um, heart disease, breast cancer, even lung cancer, because our bodies, when we're so stressed out and we're constantly in fight or flight or have that adrenaline pumping, our bodies maybe can't heal. Our bodies are not um, uh, metabolizing the nutrients that we need to take care of ourselves. We're not working out. Again, maybe we're using substances to cope. Um, So things like alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, all of that stuff to cope um, can really lead to physical health implications. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of research and and studies about what stress does to the physical body, but Mm -hmm. also just the coping tools that we adapt when we're in very stressful situations, like you said, are going to be things that are going to typically are going to be destructive. I have very few people that come to to me and use, you know, healthy diet and exercise as a way of coping yep. with their stress. Ideally, that's what we would do. But when you're in a really stressed environment, you need comfort and soothing. And a lot of times that will come from things that are unhealthy. Like I mm-hmm. mentioned before, peanut M&Ms was my coping <laughs> tool when I was in the corporate world. Yeah, I drank way too many energy drinks. Um, <laughs> finally got off of those recently. When I joined Laura, I don't need that anymore. <laughs> we try to keep it low stress at Anchor Light. Yes, yes. For each other and, of course, our clients. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you find that you're struggling with, you know, I just can't lose weight. I can't quit smoking. You know, some, we want to look at, well, what are the other Mm-hmm. It's not some people come to me often with some of these complaints feeling like they're weak willed. And it's mm-hmm. not really about that. These these things are serving a purpose, mm-hmm. probably to offer you some sort of comfort or soothing when you're mm-hmm. stressed out. And so sometimes the work is to address the stress that is triggering these behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about uh, negative coping skills or maladaptive, actually, mm-hmm. is what we want to say there. You know, again, coping skills, they're not adaptive. We can find adaptive ones, right? So maybe we might recommend yoga or meditation or other things that can be more adaptive. Um, But we focus a little bit about substances, but you touched on, you know, maybe overeating, eating things that aren't healthy, not exercising. But of course, there's other coping behaviors like um, gambling, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people can develop sex addiction. um, And these things are called um, process addictions, right? So, uh, or behavioral addiction. So they're not necessarily putting things into our bodies, but they're still causing um, negative implications on our life. So, again, um, you know, a lot of people who come from toxic environments, no matter where they're coming from, work, childhood or whatever, we can adapt or adopt these things. So addressing like addressing trauma. So whether it's childhood trauma that that is still impacting you today is something Mm -hmm. that that you can do with. Michelle uses EMDR therapy quite a bit to help people get to the root of the things that are triggering those behaviors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. EMDR therapy can also help with work stress because sometimes we can be very traumatized by work experiences, Mm -hmm. which I think is a little bit less talked about than childhood trauma. But yeah. 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 And again, it's those negative beliefs that come out of it. And that's what we're targeting. And that's what we're, you know, informing clients that, um, you know, the toxic work environment or the trauma, that's not a good teacher, but it teaches us these things, right? Okay, I, I am worthless. I am, you know, 
not good enough in some way. I don't deserve a healthy work environment and kind of working with EMDR, we can really kind of clear those up and it's really cool. It's, Tell people what EMDR is again. It's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and it's either eye movements, we can do physical um, back and forth and bilaterals. And so what we're doing is replicating the dreaming process, uh, REM sleep. So, um, when our brains are um, sleeping and trying to dream, right, we're trying to um, kind of organize maybe what happened in the day. We can try to be organizing past experiences. And when we have nowhere to file that in our brain, it stays there. So you can see that in nightmares, um, night terrors. You can see that in um, reoccurring dreams. So a lot of people will have reoccurring dreams that maybe aren't even related to the stressful environment, um, but they're anxiety provoked, right? They can't somehow get control in these dreams, that sort of thing. Yeah. So EMDR is a type of therapy that helps you reprocess traumatic memories so that they don't continue to have the same stress impact on you as mm-hmm. they before you do the work of 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 addressing them and yeah, detaching from them, which yeah. is the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had said, Michelle, something about the brain and its ability Mm. to change. And EMDR can be part of that. But tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, a lot of people might not realize this. So there's grooves in our brain that comes from experience, that comes from, um, you know, biological factors as well. But we can, our brains can heal. Mm -hmm. Our brains can get past these things. We can form new grooves in our brain. And um, so a way of thinking about that is our brain is plastic, right? So we touch plastic, we can move it around in the same way that our brains are, and that's called neuroplasticity. Um, So um, again, we can heal from these psychological wounds. We can get past the toxic stress. um, And yeah, it has a, our brains have an amazing ability to reorganize. And I think a lot of people think, well, this is my story. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not able to move past it. This is my lot in life because of what happened to me. And that it really isn't true with therapy and and doing work. Mm -hmm. You can, you can train, like you said, Mm -hmm. change the grooves in your brain, Mm -hmm. reframe some of the experiences that you've had, Mm -hmm. detach from them emotionally so Mm -hmm. that you can move Mm -hmm. forward. So if you are feeling really stuck, therapy is a great way to get unstuck. Mm -hmm. And uh, at Anchor Light, we do trauma-informed therapy to help you work through some of these things. Yeah. And real quick, uh, back to the substance use or um, addictions, um, this, that our brains can heal from that as well. And we can form new coping skills. We can form new things where we're retraining the brain, muscle memory. So um, our brains can also heal from that yeah. and change. So it's pretty it's cool. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, that may be sometimes with medication or it can be with therapy. There, But there's a lot of things you're not... You're not stuck. There are things that you can absolutely do to move forward from toxic relationships and move forward from trauma. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening today to Holding Ground. We will be back next week with uh, the next part of our toxic relationship series. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.